Does Yelp hate women? Welcome to Answers News, Monday, August 29th, 2022. Hello, I'm Roger Patterson, joined today by Brian Osborne and Tim Chafee. And we're going to be talking about how big tech is using their muscle to promote a pro-abortion, pro-murder, plus a bunch of other stories. So let's jump right into that first one here. We have a, uh, a story coming to us that has the title, Yelp, to add more <laughs> flags to anti-abortion pregnancy centers. Now, if you're not aware of Yelp, it's a service where people do reviews of businesses and other things, and then you can get directions and uh, hail rides and other things through the site and give uh, feedback about the places you visited. And so it's kind of this uh, crowdsourcing review site. And uh, here, what we have is the promotion of this big tech company and using their resources to really influence the way people see what's available to them. So the, uh, the uh, tech giants here, along with Google, have been using these resources to point people to pregnancy centers. And in the past, that hasn't been a big problem, but now they're starting to relabel and put little warning flags as they consider them on places like crisis pregnancy centers, where a woman might go to seek information about an abortion and unknowingly come into a, a true knowledge of what's happening with her body and other options, and they've, they've created these flags. And it's really kind of concerning as tech is playing one side of the issue here. No, and they really are trying to determine what you actually see, therefore what you actually choose. And so bear in mind the leadership of Yelp, they want you to Yelp for help for abortion, if I can steal that phrase from a kid's show, my kids are young, but anyway, and so, but they really want to push that ideology, that agenda, because they believe abortion is a good and right thing, and they want to define the terms and also define what you can and cannot see to influence your decisions. And so... It's helpful as you kind of think about these issues and think about what they're actually doing to define your terms clearly. So what is abortion in reality? It's the murder of a child. It's a murder of a baby. So it won't help encourage you to murder babies, which is not an overstatement of the actual fact. And they want to help push that ideology. And so in their minds, these crisis pregnancy centers are limiting abortions. Therefore, they must be bad. And they call them anti-abortion pregnancy centers, which I would have called them pro-life. Notice the negative language, by the way, yeah. anti-abortion. Why not give us a positive, you know, language, pro-life? We'll give them a positive spin, pro-death, right? <laughs> and just roll it right. that way. And, and as they do this, they say, we're trying to add this new free feature to protect users who are seeking abortions. But there's another person there inside of that mother that needs That's some protection, right. right, Tim? Absolutely, because if the abortion is successful, then only half of the people who go into that um, operating room come out alive. And that's, of course, the, because the baby is being killed uh, in that procedure. Um, but yeah, they, they, remember when they used to talk about abortion being safe and rare? And safe, legal, and rare. Safe, legal, yeah, and that rare. That was the goal, yeah. right? But now it's, that's not what they want because anytime somebody is being counseled away from that, which is what, usually, what often happens at these crisis pregnancy centers, is uh, that they don't want these places to be around anymore. They want them shut down. Uh, you had uh, was it Elizabeth Warren was railing against them oh, a couple of months was. ago. Mm -hmm. And yet these are privately funded places, uh, oftentimes run by volunteer staff who are trying to help young women, usually young women, not always young, uh, with a, a, a time in their life when they might really be struggling and they're offering genuine help. And yet you have groups like this that are trying to um, push them to the side, uh, eliminate them. But right. uh, yeah, ultimately you're 
an abortion ends the life of a human being who is made in God's image. Um, yes. That is from the very moment of, of fertilization. And as they control that language and the way yeah. that they refer to things and put them here on their site, uh, they're going to control the debate to some degree. We, we understand that idea. And so they're putting labels like crisis pregnancy center, faith-based crisis pregnancy center on these things. And many of them are run by Christian organizations. And yeah. the goal there is to help promote life. And so with uh, this, and Google has also had petitions from within their uh, company, uh, People in their company want to put up more warnings and alerts and block the traffic that's going to these crisis pregnancy centers because they're going to get a message of hope and of we can help you with these things. And apparently these tech companies don't want that message of hope and help being spread. They're trying to suppress those things. And that's, a, that's dangerous for our culture. But ultimately, um, it's, a, it's a spiritual battle that's going on here as we think about all of these things. Yeah, it's... Yeah. it's um, ironic because they, they say they're going to place consumer notice on listings informing users that centers typically provide limited medical services and may not have licensed medical professionals on site. Uh, are they talking about Planned Parenthood? Exactly. Oh, that's no, they're too. not. But that's yeah, usually right. what is the case in many of those uh, places mm -hmm. where they have very limited medical services. Um, in fact, there's usually one service they provide, and that is abortion. Um, yet we were told for so long that, no, they, they offer so many things. Abortion is just a tiny little bit of what they do. And then how come when Roe v. Wade was struck down, many of them said they had to close the doors. Mm, if absolutely. it was just a tiny little portion of what they did. Well, it's interesting too, because part of the negative stigma they want to attach to these crisis pregnancy centers is that, well, they're typically religiously affiliated. Well, and that is true, as Roger said, but bottom line, everybody is religious. Everybody's got faith. The question is, where do you put your faith? And so those who have the secular worldview, they have a religion as well that's rooted in a religion of death, an anti-biblical worldview. It is a religion, and they are just as zealous for their religion as anybody else is. So you've got to keep that in mind. And then also kind of bouncing off what Tim said here, uh, the old names for the pregnancy centers were reproductive health services. And they said, well, that was misleading. Well, no, these pregnancy centers are helping mothers give birth to babies for reproduction. That's literally what they are doing for the good of the baby, the mother, even the father. They have so many helps. They provide so many different needs for those families. And yet they, again, go against the ideology of those people who have a different worldview, so they want to shoot them down. But yeah, they so. will want that same type of description for abortion, reproductive health yeah, services. Well, it's not very healthy for the one who's being killed. That's right. Absolutely. Exactly so right. I, I guess, you know, sometimes people will look at this and say, well, these are private businesses. They can do that if they want to. But uh, picture uh, some people in the audience here probably remember Yellow Pages, right? I mean, if you imagine that if you were to turn to the Yellow Pages for the younger people at home. Tim, how we, old are you? <laughs> I'm older than you. <laughs> Let me explain what Yellow Pages are. We had these things called phones that were plugged into the wall. But imagine that only... Only groups that could be in the yellow pages were ones that had certain political affiliations. Mm -hmm. Other groups were not allowed to be in there just because they had a different view than uh, what was prevailing in the culture at the time, or whatever it was. It's a form of censorship is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to be praying for um, more awareness and more exposure for these centers, especially those ones who are there to proclaim the gospel and point people to Absolutely. not just hope for their physical well-being, but for their spiritual well-being as well and uh, make that a priority within our, our church communities. And, you know, and before we transition homes. to the next one, we do have a, a great exhibit on yeah. the, <laughs> the life of the unborn in the womb called Fearfully Wonderfully Made, and we're gonna be opening up a new exhibit, a permanent exhibit, um, in just a little over a month. October 9th is gonna be our first day open to the public. And in there, we're gonna have a, a, about um, maybe between one and two dozen testimonies from women who have were, mm. 
were you know, contemplating abortion or some of them had an abortion and found forgiveness. But we're going to share their testimonies in there. And you're going to see some of the, the good that pregnancy centers like this can do. All right. Our next article comes to us from the Washington Post opinion page. Will future Canadians owe the disabled an apology for euthanasia? Yes. So, oh, wait, was that? Was that <laughs> we're right, next article. Calm down. <laughs> calm down. So this is uh, by Charles Lane, an opinion piece here. And basically what he's talking about, he's comparing uh, the situation in Canada where they had uh, religiously run schools that brought indigenous children into these schools and raise them. And there were some abuses there, and we can acknowledge those, those sinful things that happened. Uh, but this was occasioned by a visit and a, a declaration from Pope Francis. And it then ties into a statement about euthanasia. Euthanasia is a, uh, a loaded term because it means good death. You're, you're mm -hmm. really uh, putting some flowery language on assisted suicide. And here it talks about that, uh, that activity being rebranded as medical assistance in dying. So we have this cute little acronym, MAID. Like you wanna call the MAID for help, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so they've really twisted the language in a very euphemistic way to make it sound tolerable. But the goal here is the Canadian government allows euthanasia for anyone with intolerable suffering or incurable illnesses. And this, uh, this gentleman is pointing out the concerns with that, especially as it relates to those within the disabled community. Yeah, and again, Roger, as you mentioned earlier, earlier, if you control the language and the narrative, you can control the way people think about a particular issue. So notice the rebranding here. They rebrand it as medical assistance in dying. They make it sound like it's something that's good and necessary and helpful and part of just healthcare in general. Instead of calling it what it actually is from a biblical perspective, we understand that euthanasia is murder. It's literally what it is. No matter with the best of intentions, it's murder. It's taking of a human life. Even if you take your own life, you are murdering yourself in that sense. It is ab absolutely unbiblical. And really the thrust behind the whole push for euthanasia is kind of the, the idea of autonomy, right? That that is the ultimate good, that if you can, you should have the right as your own person to decide to make your own decisions, to be the captain of your own ship. And so you can even make the decision of when you live and when you die. You are your own king. But the Bible says... No, you're not. Your life is not your own. Your life is not your own. God is king. God is a giver of life. He's a giver of death at the appropriate times and judgment and perfection. God does that, not us. And so whenever we do this, we are overstepping our bounds as the creation compared to the creator. Yeah. So, Tim, the, the idea here is that this one group, Dying with Dignity Canada, is promoting this euthanasia service. And when we think about dignity, do they really have any basis for that? From the worldview that they're mostly people would be coming from, no, not really. I mean, if you're just uh, reincarnated, or if you're just rearranged pond scum, maybe yeah. that's the right way to put it. Although people in Canada maybe reincarnated, <laughs> maybe that's <laughs> what they're thinking. But yeah, right. uh, but if you're just rearranged material matter, there's there's no there's no concept such as dignity or uh, or love or any of these other things that they can appeal to. Those sort of things come from within within a biblical worldview. That's right. And often what they'll do is they'll they'll give tragic cases. Look, there are people who suffer tremendously. I mean, the, imagine Job, you know, if this was around in Job's day and people, you know, they might have said, you know what, Job, you should just call maid. 
uh, because you've gone through... Job even expresses that in yeah. his laments that oh, he yeah. wants to die and wishes um, he wouldn't have been born. Right. And, and I think one of the fears that people have in this, because we always hear about this, oh, that's a slippery slope and everything. But what happens when, it, when it's a terminal illness? What happens when those who are Christians are considered to have a terminal illness? You don't mm. think that there are people who already believe that? Isn't that what Richard right. Dawkins says that about us, right? Absolutely. Uh, and so do many others. So what if the government were to classify a certain group of people based on their beliefs or maybe based on their skin color or maybe based on something else as having that terminal illness, suddenly they can be killed legally. Yeah, well, and that happens within the disabled yep. community. The government can make those claims. And at the end here, uh, the, the author makes this statement, as they expand euthanasia today, Canadians should bear in mind that they too are subject to the law to the law of unintended consequences and to the judgment of future generations. But more importantly than being judged by history and man, Jesus points out in Matthew 10, 28, that it's not man who can merely kill the body that we should fear, but God who can kill the body and soul and cast us into hell. And there's that warning of that future judgment that's gonna come when we sin against God and, and violate his law. And that's why the real solution to this is not necessarily public policy, but proclamation of the gospel, that our minds will only be changed after our hearts are changed right. and we can, we can see true well, change in our culture. Yeah, and just like the last article, there's a, a devaluing of human life, the sanctity of human life, and that's what we go back to. You know, People will try to make the argument that, oh, those people who are against abortion just want to control a woman's body. It's not about that. We don't think that you should take the life of a human being who's made in God's image, especially the one who is, those who are the most innocent among us, the child who hasn't been born yet and, and hasn't uh, done horrible, rotten things. Um, and in the same way, we think that we should have respect for, for people who are suffering, who are uh, ill or who are elderly. We should have respect for those individuals as human beings made in God's image. And anytime you're, you're arguing for euthanasia or abortion, you're, uh, you're devaluing that human life. All right. Our next article takes us to an interesting image here. Uh, extreme <laughs> climate shifts long ago may have helped drive reptile evolution. Uh, so Tim remarked, this is kind of the evolutionist dream. We got the evolution and we got the climate change and we can smash them together. And uh, we might it's have true. to come up with some intersectionality score. <laughs> this one's got at least two points. We've got, we've got two points on, intersectionality. on this one. And so what the, uh, what the article here is suggesting is that as the certain scientists have examined some fossils, taken an extensive catalog of fossils that lived somewhere between 300 and 250 million years ago, and then comparing that to the um, surface temperatures of the ocean during that time, because we have direct data on that, right? Of course. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. we don't. <laughs> uh, looking at oxygen isotope ratios in these layers and trying to infer the sea temperatures from there, they've suggested that rapid climate change events could have been as responsible for the uh, change in body size and shape that they measured, uh, specifically getting smaller after these extinction events, called the Lilliput effect based on uh, Jonathan Swift novel, Gulliver's Travels and the Little Lilliputians. And, and we see this. Like Brian, uh, little person. <laughs> we see Everybody's this little the, compared to you. That's yeah, not fair. Yeah, yeah. All right. He's like 6'9 and 6'6 six, six or so whatever. So as they scanned these fossils, they were able to, to determine this. And um, their methodology is questionable. But as we look at this from a biblical perspective, where would we put these layers that they're looking at? 
A couple of things to keep in mind as you look at reports like this and these analysis they present, there are so many assumptions that are smuggled and embedded into this article, into this research. Just a couple to think about as we jump in. First of all, they're assuming the Bible's history is not true. They're assuming there was no supernatural creation roughly 6,000 years ago, no global flood roughly 4,400 years ago. They're assuming the Bible's history is wrong. So note from the beginning, they're not being neutral. Nobody can be neutral on any issue. They're assuming the Bible's history is wrong, therefore they're being anti-biblical. They're assuming you can and must explain all things with only natural processes over long periods of time. That's the religion of naturalism, materialism, atheism. They have a different religion. Again, not being neutral. They're assuming biological evolution as they go through this as well. And so you can keep going. The assumptions just keep mounting and mounting and mounting. So bear in mind, it's not just about the observable facts in the present, but how they're interpreted and the assumptions that are driving those interpretations. And so that's the big thing. Now, from a biblical perspective, we understand that there was indeed an extreme climate change between the Permian and the Triassic period. It's called the flood of Noah's day, all right? Those rock layers were laid down during Noah's flood. So there was catastrophic climate change and things were being wrecked and rearranged during that particular time. And it can, the flood can explain what we see within the uh, rock layers and within these actual fossils. Bear in mind, when they talk about evolution, they're not talking about literally molecules to man evolution. They're not changing about something that's intermediate. They're seeing different variations of created kinds, but nothing in between, just fully designed as they were from the beginning. And so they find these different fossils in those different rock layers. They assume all the assumptions I mentioned before and many others, and they get their conclusions. But as we often say, if you start with the wrong assumptions, you're going to wind up with the wrong conclusions. So where did all this warm water that they're recording here come from, Tim? You know, our model for the flood has warm water as well, because you get the fountains of the great deep breaking open. And so you have all sorts of presumably uh, volcanic activity, geysers, all sorts of things. It's going to heat the ocean uh, up quite a bit, which actually would then post-flood trigger the ice age. And uh, so we have an explanation from our biblical model that explains... One at the Ark Encounter, right? Great exhibit uh, yep. on that. Yeah, we have an exhibit at, on the, uh, at the Ark on the Ice Age and also the Flood and how that would uh, trigger the Ice Age. So we can explain the data that they see from the biblical perspective, but, you know, they get to blend, like Roger said, they get to blend their global warm... Their, their, sorry, climate change. Climate change. Can I say it the right way? Yeah. And uh, also <laughs> so evolution. so 1990s, Tim. Uh, the only thing it's missing is like aliens and LGBTQ. So they could have got like four <laughs> points if they could have slipped that in there somehow. We are going to make that scale. We're yeah. going to make that happen. We need to have Intersectionality. That. We're going to make that happen. The evolutionary intersection scale. All right. And the other problem from within the model is there's evidence around the Triassic-Jurassic extinction in their view that they call the Brobgenag, Brobgenag, which is the other land where the giants were in, in uh, Swift's satirical novel. The better land. And it, <laughs> it, <laughs> it shows that the uh, creatures were getting larger after that one. So there's a bit of a conflict. And we can explain those things within the flood and look at some, some evidence to try and, try and describe those things. And related to that, uh, dinosaur tracks from 113 million years ago uncovered due to severe drought conditions at Dinosaur Valley State Park. So this is near uh, Glen Rose, Texas, in the Paluxy River. Mm. And as you can see here in these images, as the river has dried up during this period of drought, uh, we see the channel, the main channel of the river's cut off, and some of these rock layers are exposed. And we've got lots of uh, trackways here in this area, in these, in these rock layers. And we can see this new trackway that was exposed. And this is from an Acrocanthosaurus and uh, also a Sauroposeidon, the big uh, long-tailed dinosaurs. Uh, go back to my land before time <laughs> days there. And 
these have been exposed and they've been filled in in the past with sediments and kind of protected, but they're going to get covered up again. And this is a very cool find that points us back to the flood again. It is. And it was interesting as I was reading this article and I read the headline, I thought, oh, good, I can read an article about dinosaur tracks. It'll be mainly focused on dinosaurs and the tracks they left and mostly on that. And literally about three or four sentences in, they jumped straight into climate change. They really just used that headline as an excuse to talk about so-called man-caused man, cl- man climate, climate change. change. I mean, that's so really what it was all about. By highlighting areas that are under drought right now. Oh, well, yeah. here's a quote. So you got to love this. They say, they say there's a drought, right, that led to the uh, revelation of these new tracks. And they have a quote here. The human-caused climate crisis, too, has increased the potential for more frequent dramatic swings in periods of drought and high precipitation, such as flash, fl- flash flooding this week over in Dallas. So notice... Based on one of the article, if there's a drought and no rain, climate change. Climate change. If there's flooding, climate, climate change. change. No matter what it is, it must be climate change caused by humans. Man-made, by the way, yep. we're the culprits and we're the problem behind it. All based on a secular ideology. It's utterly anti-biblical on th- multiple levels. I thought cows were at fault and sheep That's over true. in New Zealand, right? <laughs> right, and, right. And, yeah, flagellants from the cows. And kangaroos in Australia, yeah. they're the really to blame, yeah. right? Now, Tim, are, there's right? some other uh, history here, especially associated with the Young Earth Creationist Movement oh, yeah. at Paluxy. Mm-hmm. What are some of the concerns that people should be aware of with these trackways? Yeah, so one of the popular arguments that, that have been used by some creationists is that at this in this area there were uh, foot prints found of dinosaurs, and then they also claim that there were also human footprints at the same level at the same time. And we've always cautioned against using that argument. Uh, While we would not be completely surprised to find something like that, there is question about whether or not those truly were human footprints. And that that particular particular instance. Yeah, in that particular, right. Um, And so rather than running out there looking for a silver bullet, like, oh, wow, we found this evidence. This is going to really convince the evolution. Look, you could, a lot of these people are so committed, it doesn't matter what you show them. They're not going to believe. it's a spiritual blindness as well. And and so this is something where if it's questionable, let's, be really careful on using those things. So we have an article on our website about, in fact, we have a series of articles on yes. arguments creationists should not use. We're not saying that they're necessarily wrong. They're just because they're very suspect. Let's be careful about yep. that. Now, these, these things have a very cool name. They're called UPAs, out-of-place artifacts. Is that from Willy Wonka? I don't think so. Those okay. are Oompa Loompas. Okay. A little okay. different. These OOPAs, Upas. And we can see lots of these, and it makes sense for us from a biblical perspective because we believe God created mankind and these beasts on the same day of creation week, not separated by tens or hundreds of millions of years like the evolutionists believe. So when we do find those things, the evolutionists will tend to try and downplay them or hide them or explain them away. So we, it's not that we can't use them, so we want to use them wisely and be careful with those things. That takes us on to a cultural article here from Not The Bee. It's happening. LGB drop the T keeps trending on Twitter as gay activists turn on transgender activists. So there's been a, a rise in the use of this hashtag and another one, um, LGB without the T, because Twitter and other platforms were censoring this hashtag so that the information couldn't be spread. And we can see some of the comments here uh, from various people within the LGB community who are trying to separate themselves from the T. And they think that the the transgender uh, side has distorted things and kind of corrupted their movement. Ironically, the ones who have corrupted God's plan for sexuality are now seeing a corruption within that uh, same type of sexuality and are trying to call it out. 
Well, it seems like they were fine. They seemed happy to partner up with anyone who would jump on their bandwagon to obliterate kind of the, the old social sexual norms of our culture rooted in a Christian worldview, more or less, right? So they were fine to partner with them to obliterate those social sexual norms. But once those norms were gone, now they kind of feel free to kind of argue amongst themselves and kind of do some infighting to purge who they think doesn't really need to belong there. And really, if you think about it, it does make sense for them to have this fighting on numerous levels. But I mean, you've got the LGB, which is lesbian, gay, and bisexual. You can't have lesbian, gay, and bisexual if there aren't just two real genders. Or if gender is fluid. Or if gender is fluid, right. right? And so in order for those things to exist, there must be a real thing called a man, a real thing called a woman, rooted in real biology and genetics. If that doesn't exist, then the LGB is just gone, right? And so they recognize that, and so therefore there's a lot of conflict with the transgender ideology that's becoming so dominant, and even taking over much of this whole push, this pride push, if you will. And so now those of the LGB are kind of pushing back against the T. We're seeing the infighting. And it's really not surprising. A lot of people have kind of seen this coming. And plus, with the, the transgender movement as well, I mean, there's been this big attack on, on women, right? Because you, you, women are being attacked because you can't have women athletics anymore. If there is no such thing as a biological woman, then why can't men compete in women's sports and stuff like that and go into women's locker rooms and stuff like that, which they're doing. And so all these things are leading to kind of this just rebellion, a civil war, if you will, yeah. inside the movement. Yeah, Tim, let me read this uh, passage here from 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, and then I'll have you, or, or 10 through 11, 9 through 11, and then have you kind of comment on that mm-hmm. and, and point to some hope here. Uh, it says here, or do you not know that the unrighteous mm-hmm. will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, sexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you stop and think about that, I guarantee you can find yourself in that list if you examine your own heart accurately. Mm-hmm. And then Paul goes on in verse 11 to say, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So where does that lead of us with these types of movements and these people making these claims? I think that it shows, well, I know that it shows that there's hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there are people, there are, sadly, there are people in the church who are saying, no, this is just fine. And we shouldn't, that they, that they can live this way if they want to and still be, you know, a Christian and everything. But Paul's saying, no, no, they, they need to be washed. They need to be cleansed. They need to trust in Christ. And when that happens, he says, such were some of you. Okay. So people can come from uh, different backgrounds, different lifestyles, and uh, when they turn to Christ, they can be restored, they can be renewed. And so for the people saying that they're, that they're born this way and it's something that is set in stone, that's not, that's not the case that it's set in stone. They can, they can be transformed by the power of the gospel. Yeah, we can be pointing them to that hope and that surety in Christ. All right, coming uh, from Florida, I believe, Christian school refuses to change long-held policy excluding sexual behavior despite alleged death threats. I gave it a new title. (laughs) Christian school refuses to be non-Christian. And that's exactly what it is because here we have a a school who has reminded the students, the the principal uh, or administrator sent out 
this reminder that our school has a sexual ethic policy that's based on scripture and reads out those things. And he says, God has spoken on these issues and we're going to stand by them as a school. And they've gotten a lot of pushback and kickback from that. Uh, One of the quotes here, Tim, it says, we believe that God created mankind in his image, male man and female woman, sexually different, but with equal dignity. So do you think they just made that up or did they get that from somewhere? You know, that sounds like it came right from Genesis chapter one. You know, when God said, let us make man in our image, then he goes on and says, it says that God made man in his image, male and female, he created them. And so, yeah, we're uh, men and women from a biblical perspective are have equal value. Uh, we are both made in God's image, and uh, but we're different. Praise God. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> God. Yes. And Brian, this guy really yeah. stuck to his guns, as it as it were. Yeah, so I appreciated what he said and even how he said it in numerous ways. But he said, uh, "If I were, if I backed down from something like this, I'd be abandoning what God has said is the truth." He goes on to say, goes on to say, God has spoken on these issues. And I love his focus and his wording there because the emphasis is not on what he thinks or his opinion. His emphasis is this is what God has revealed in his word. This is what God says. Therefore, I'm going to submit and bow to that and not to man. Yeah. And so he's not trying to be uh, unnecessarily arrogant at all. He's being humble, thinking what he's saying here. He's not trying to be aggressive. But he's saying, hey, listen, this is what God says. I'm submitting to this. This is my authority. God's word, not me. And- and so I love that passion and that perspective. And what happens in these cases is you'll get a, a media outlet that will grab a little tiny snippet of something, make it oh, seem sure. like they're saying something very offensive or just shocking hateful. in our day and age right. yeah, and hateful. And the, the principal is saying, no, this is what we've held since 1975. But right. we also have a, a, a clause in there about if a student is, is um, heterosexual but sexually active. They're, they're out as well. It's, it's, right. it's, it's not just targeting it's sexual sin. Right. It's sexual not just sin. one flavor of it. Exactly. And he makes the point in the article the principal does. He said, it's funny, we're being called hateful, but yet ever since this news has been released, they have got hundreds, if not thousands of calls, calls attacking him, attacking the school, and there have been many threats and even death threats against him and different people in the school. Because from the tolerant of this, people. Yeah, from the very tolerant and very loving and unhateful people out there, right? We've got a book so, there in front of you. Uh, this was written yep. by Ken Ham, our founder, Will They Stand? It's really talking about how uh, these okay. issues in the culture are symptoms of sin, ultimately, and how we can be training up the next generation like they're trying to do here in this, this Christian school to stand on God's word as the authority and, and look for those things. I got one verse on this I want to share before we move yeah. on. Just Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and per- persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great, your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecute the prophets and those who are before you. And that should be our heartbeat in all this. We don't worry about man's opinions, but rather God's. Yeah. All right, I think we got time to crunch out this last article Ooh, real quick. Nice. Just, oh, just, man. Look at that. Chewing Roger. burns more calories than you think and may have shaped our evolution. Chew uh, gum, lose weight. Is that so, the takeaway here? And evolve. So, so right. basically what the uh, scientists did here is they were trying to figure out if chewing actually burns enough calories to have any significant effect on our bodies. And uh, so they ultimately determined it was somewhere between 1% and 3%. The articles kind of got some contradictory Of the energy that you burn each day. The energy that your daily... Daily um, energy requirements are output into chewing, chewing our food. And they're trying to connect this, of course, back to the evolutionary past where we evolved. They mentioned the Australopithecines, which would have been one of the common ancestors we share in the evolutionary view. And how did this shape our humanity if 1% to 3% of our calorie usage could have been 
uh, or compared to others, it would have been much smaller. And they totally wind up contradicting themselves because they, they say, well, you have to chop and prepare all the food. I'm pretty sure chopping up the food and preparing it to get it soft so we don't have to chew as much is well, burn just Well, they were calories. saying that the chewing, if you burn more calories in chewing, then you could save energy in some way, shape, or form. So they thought, well, to, ha to have a different jaw structure like humans have, the article says, you know, Australopithecines have a different jaw structure, bigger, more robust, bigger teeth. It evolves what we see today in our jaw structure. There's got to be intermediates in between. So maybe you could save energy with softer foods, but to make softer foods, you got to burn energy, energy, as you were saying, and chopping the food and preparing it. So it kind of contradicts itself. Yeah. Brian, Brian, you asked a great question. What, what is it about chewing more yeah. efficiently um, can well, generate new DNA that can turn you into a different kind of creature? How did chewing <laughs> add brand new genetic information to change the morphological Structure well, they would jaw. just say it sorted out traits that were already there over hundreds of thousands but, of years, and those things. But where developed. did the traits come from originally? Th this right? is such a—it's yeah. another great example of where they're doing observable research. They're testing something, and maybe the research itself is, is helpful. And can, yeah. but then they're all, they're bringing in so much of their storytelling and so oh, many yeah. assumptions, and then just hey, this is evolution. I'm surprised they didn't get climate change in here somehow. Man, but, I'm going to yeah. be chewing gum. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be chewing gum after this. Yeah. You're right. It's good. All right. To wrap up today, we've got a few things to point you to. Great resources, especially as kids are going back to school this time of year. Uh, we have a Creation College Expo coming up November 3rd through 5th down to the Answers Center. Yep. Uh, I'll be down there meeting people and, and talking about the great programs we have to offer here as, as well as many other schools who are in line with us as far as what they teach about uh, God's Word and its, its view of science and, and man and all the things we've talked about today. And then uh, also for your uh, college students especially, uh, Patricia Engler, one of our uh, speakers here on staff, she has written this book called Prepare to Thrive, a Survival Guide for Christian Students, going off to college and those types of things. So uh, if you've got someone in that situation, this would be a great resource for them to help shore up their faith, um, helping them get plugged into a good, solid local church wherever they're at so they can have accountability of other mm -hmm. Christians and, and leaders there in their life as they're away. Uh, great but resource. great resources for you there. And that's all we've got for you today. Till we see you next time, God bless. See you guys.